You know, King David, that's the one who was selected by God Almighty, the Almighty God, was told that he would not build the temple, but he tells his son Solomon he will. This is a fascinating scripture, First Chronicles 28. Join us. We'll talk about it in five minutes. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And the name of this program is Bible Discovery TV. Thank you for joining us today. Teaching in five minutes, 20 minutes, Corey and Ryan will be with us. Corey. So I'm going to be talking about Solomon's wild throne today. Ryan. Today I'm taking my cue from the chronicler who gives a throwback to God's promise to Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the heavens. Very good. Look forward to that. And Janice is coming up in about 25 minutes. Janice, what's going on? It's our Friday wrap-up question, and it's going to be from anywhere from 1 Chronicles chapter 1 all the way through to 29. I hope you're ready. Pretty sure Ryan and Corey are. First Chronicles 28, 1 through 8. Now David assembled at Jerusalem all the leaders of Israel, the officers of the tribes and the captains of the divisions who served the king, the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance and possessions of the king and of his sons, with the officials, the valiant men, and all the mighty men of valor. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God, and had made preparations to build it. But God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name, because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. However, the Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever, for he has chosen Judah to be the ruler. And of the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he was pleased with me to make me king over all Israel. And all of my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. Now he said to me, It is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever if he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as it is this day. Now, therefore... In the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land, and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you forever. 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 1 through 8. First Chronicles 27, 28, and 29, as we continue going through the Bible, we learn much about what God is teaching us and telling us. And one thing David knew was the command of God. He knew the command of God. He had spent his life practicing how to hear and to follow God. 
Now we see him asking the Lord whether or not he should pursue an enemy. We read his Psalms where he wrestles with his life and waits for the Lord to answer and move. So when it came to David's heart to build the kingdom or to build the temple, I should say, David heard and was able to receive the answer, no. In 1 Chronicles 28, we get to see David relying this message or relaying this message, I should say, to the people of Israel. In his speech, David establishes Solomon as the heir to the throne of Israel and commissions him to build the temple in the hearing of all of the Israelite leaders. David charges Solomon to follow God. And it would not be enough to ride on the coattails of David's faithfulness to God. In fact, this is the same today. You know, I remember my father used to tell me, God has no grandchildren. You see, each generation, every person must decide if they will personally follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And this generation, too, is one that is making those decisions every single day. It is a tumultuous time, and it's fascinating. But God is good all the time, and he promised us he would be with us even to the end of the age. Now, take your Bible guide and turn to this today as we look at David. If you don't have one, write us or call us, or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on it, and it'll take you to a donate page. And let me say thank you for your donations. They're very, very important and very good. And I will say that once you're done, make a donation in any amount. We don't tell you the amount. We allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And then it'll take you to a place where you can download it exactly how we printed it. So you can have the Bible guide and join us for the command of God today as we look at 1 Chronicles 28, 1-8. Let's pray. Father, help us as we look at the command of God. Now that's different, Lord, because we're taught, many of us, that what we feel is what we should do. But the command of God deals with our spirits. And our spirits aren't always feeling or defined by feeling. They're defined by our purpose. And that is unique. So help us to hear you today as we study the command of God. Teach us your ways and show us your paths. In Jesus' name. And we said together, all of us, amen. Now, as we remember this, let's look at the passage in 1 Chronicles 28, verses 1 to 3. Here is what it says. It says, Now David assembled at Jerusalem all the leaders of Israel, the officers of the tribes and the captains of the divisions who served the king, the captains over thousands and the captains over hundreds and the stewards over all of the substance and possessions of the king of his sons with the officials and the valiant men and all the mighty men of valor. I mean, everybody was there. That's verse one. Verse two says, the king rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and, and, made, and had made preparations to build it. But God said to me, you shall not build a house for my name 
because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. Interesting. David is honest about what God had said to him. Interesting. How many politicians would do that today? How many leaders would do that today? You see, when we speak about what God has said to us, we should be honest and truthful. <laughs> that doesn't make us necessarily feel good. I'm sure that David had feelings that he wanted to build the house of God and he was ready to do it. And God said, no. How would we take that? Very interesting. Very interesting. We need to pay attention to what God is doing because that's what David did. His heart was after God. Is yours? Is mine? First Chronicles 28, 4 and 5. However, the Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen Judah to be the ruler. And of the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he was pleased with me to make me king over all of Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. Fascinating. So David speaks honestly about God's call on Solomon's life. It's not about what he felt, but it's what God said. You see, we should always speak truthfully about God's call on others because life isn't all about us. I remember talking to someone one time and all they ever did was talk about themselves and I'm not suggesting that you do this, but I, I was, it was one of those moments. And I said to him, well, you know, it's, it's not always about you. There are so many times that we are in social media, Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. It's all about us, 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 us. So many times when we capture, it's about us, it's about it's what I think, what I think. Maybe we just need to back off and say, Lord, what do you think? Very interesting. Six and eight. Now he said to me, it is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever if he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as it is this day. Now, therefore, in the sight of all of Israel, the sight of everybody, the assembly of the Lord, and the hearing of God, of our God, be careful to seek out all the commands of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you forever. Fascinating. David claims that Solomon will have a choice to follow God's ways. And we're going to see that choice too. Each of us has a choice to respond to God, beloved. I say beloved because that's what Paul said. And that's what John said. You are beloved of God. We have a choice to follow God every day. Will we? Father God, help us to follow Jesus Christ. Help us not to follow what the world says and try to impress this and impress that one, be this, be great. Help us to follow you. 
because you only are the one who makes us truly significant, truly great, and our lives truly purposeful. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, and we all said together, amen. this character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, uh, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. So in our reading day in 1 Chronicles 29, uh, it talks about how Solomon took his seat on the Lord's throne. And then later on in the scriptures in 2 Chronicles, Solomon's throne is actually described and it's described with multiple statues of golden lions on it. So today you and I are going to be taking a look at the significance and the symbolism of lions in the ancient world, specifically related to kingship. Take a look. The lion was one of the main predators of ancient Israel and is mentioned often in the Bible. Today, the wild Asiatic lion is extinct in Israel, though a modern cousin lives in captivity thanks to conservation efforts. From references in the Bible, we know the lion once could be found throughout the land of Israel, regardless of topography. They were considered one of the animals that shepherds had to protect their herds and flocks from. Even David, before he was king, claimed to have defeated lions attacking his sheep. Lions are also said to have occasionally attacked humans. It's an interesting correlation that just as the role of shepherd was associated with kings, so was the lion. As shepherd of the people, it was the king's job to establish and maintain order and safety for his flock, protecting them from predators and dangers, and providing them with sustenance. On the surface, the mighty and terrifying lion also provides an apt symbol for the power, strength, and persistence of a good king. As king of the wild, the lion fears only man. As king of his nation, the ruler fears only God, or the gods, depending on his culture. The lion's association with kingship may reach even deeper, as expressed by Neo-Assyrian culture. Their empire was the one that destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel and severely humbled southern Judah. On the walls of excavated Assyrian palaces are carvings that depict royal lion hunts, and explanations of these hunts seem to move them beyond sport and into ceremony. The Assyrian kings believed they had a mandate from the gods to bring nature or the wild under control, to civilize even the wildlife. The lion served as the symbol for all this untamed chaos. By successfully hunting a lion, likely as part of their coronation, Assyrian kings took the place of the lion as king of the untamed world. They would not only protect their citizens from the wild, but actively had power over it. The lion's kingly association is more ancient than the Neo-Assyrian Empire. Kingly lion hunting scenes survive from the third millennia BC kingdom of Uruk, as well as from Egypt, and lion imagery adorns a king's mace head from Kish. In the Bible, King Solomon's throne was reached by six stairs flanked by a total of 12 lion statues, perhaps symbolizing the mighty king-like power of the 12 tribes of Israel, ruled over by the ultimate king himself. 
At least in that early time of kings, it was a mighty thing to kill a lion, as seen by David's claim to have defeated them, one of his mighty men claiming the same, and of course the famous story of the judge Samson killing a young aggressive lion with his bare hands. It's not known if Israelite kings ever participated in kingly lion hunts, but it is possible that there were some unlawful lion cults or ceremonies that took place. This is hinted at by lion-shaped cult objects and by a lion bone found in northern Israel's apostate high place. So this concept of the lion as symbolic of the wild, as chaos, as the untamed land, and how it became associated then with kingship. So a king was responsible for ruling over his people and protecting them from the wild, from the untamed. So this idea that they could, that they had authority over the lion meant that even the wild was serving them. So then we see Solomon build this throne with all of these lions on it. But in 1 Chronicles 29, the throne is not called Solomon's throne. It's called the throne of the Lord. So this idea is that, you know, there's these 12 lions representing the 12 tribes of Israel. They have been able to success control the wild, untamed land that God had given them to tame and to control. And we see Solomon sitting at the pinnacle of this representing the place of God. So really interesting uh, kind of imagery that we've got going on there. In this yeah, that, that is interesting. I love that. Uh, very good. Uh, also, I have these particular sermons here, five sermons on video and uh, a few sermons, a bunch of sermons on audio. It's on a DVD tape or a DVD disc, if you would like to write for yours or go online and get it. It's called The Return, and these are sermons done just for you. Uh, one of the series here is The Return of Christ, one and two. We talk specifically about Matthew 24. It's a very good one. I'm pre presenting these just to you. So we put them together here in the studio, and uh, they are sermons that have not been heard before. So. There you go, right for yours today. About $30 is the cost of that. All right, Ryan. All right, well, today I wanna to focus in specifically on 1 Chronicles 27, verse 23. And here the chronicler makes a special note that David did not take the number of the men 20 years old or less because the Lord had promised to make Israel as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now, this of course is a throwback to God's promise to Abraham all the way back in Genesis. And this is just one of many passages in the Bible which alludes to the stars being innumerable. And while it's a well-known fact today that the stars are uncountable, this wasn't always believed. As a matter of fact, it was once believed that there were only about a thousand stars. But when scientists finally turned their telescopes toward the heavens, they realized just how numerous the stars actually were. Check it out. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, God instructs the aging Abraham, who is desperate for an heir, to look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And God said to him, So shall your descendants be. God reaffirmed this promise in Genesis 22:17, where he proclaims, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. It is interesting that God compares the number of Abraham's future descendants to the stars in heaven and the sand on the seashores, which according to other biblical passages are both uncountable. Although it is common knowledge today that the stars are innumerable just as the Bible proclaims, this was not always accepted. 
Second century Alexandrian astronomer Claudius Ptolemy catalogued 1,022 stars in his 13-volume work, which we now call the Almagest. And while he did not claim that he had catalogued all the stars, many believed that he had. This is because during the Middle Ages there arose a belief that the ancient authorities such as Aristotle and Ptolemy knew everything. However, it is now estimated that our Milky Way galaxy alone is home to more than 100 billion stars, and that there might be more galaxies in the universe than there are stars in our own. With so many celestial objects in the universe, how are astronomers to possibly catalog them all? One method is to use the constellations. A constellation is an identifiable group of fixed stars, and 88 of them have now been defined. In fact, astronomers have mapped and marked off the entire sky with these 88 constellations. Just as Earth maps are marked off and separated by state lines, so too are the skies marked off and separated with constellations. Similarly, the celestial objects within a constellation's boundary are like the cities within a state's boundary. This is how celestial objects are catalogued and named. For example, the galaxy that resides in the constellation Andromeda is called the Andromeda Galaxy. Stars are similarly catalogued. The brightest star in a constellation is usually given the Greek letter Alpha, followed by a slightly modified name of its constellation. For example, in the constellation Centaur, the brightest star is named Alpha Centauri. The next brightest star would take the next letter in the Greek alphabet, Beta, and so on. There are other cataloging systems which are not based upon the constellations. One is the New General Catalog, or NGC, published by Cambridge University. In this catalog, the Andromeda Galaxy is journal entry number 224, so it is called NGC 224. Another catalog is the Messier Catalog, developed by French astronomer Charles Messier. The Andromeda Galaxy is entry number 31 in this catalog, so it is called Messier 31, or M31 for short. However, the ultimate star catalog belongs to the creator of them, who not only knows the number of the stars, but also calls them all by name. So God's promise to Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars was much bigger than he realized because there are far more stars in the heavens than can be seen with the naked eye. And you know what? God's promise to Abraham is still being fulfilled to this day. How cool is that? Very cool. It's very interesting. I remember when Abraham, he says, Abraham, go out, look at the stars. I want you to look at the stars. God gives us things to relate what he's saying mm -hmm. to. And the stars are so much. It says in Genesis that the stars were created for the times and the seasons. So very interesting. Yeah, that's right. And he was childless at this point and his, they were barren mm -hmm. and they were old. Yeah. So he was like thinking, was how is this going to happen? And, and so... And so now look at, you know, how many descendants does he have? Yeah, well, that's true. And can't count them. Can't count them. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I think about it and I think of he's in heaven and he's watching all this. Uh, he, he, when he heard God say that to him, he wanted to believe, I'm sure, and he probably did believe, but there's that part inside that's like, come on, you're ancient, you're old, your wife's old, you're not going to do it. That part of doubt is always there. And yet God overcomes the doubt all the time. It's like yeah. the universe. Where did it come from? People say it comes from here, it comes from there. God created the universe. Very That's right. And we're also, as as Christian Gentiles, we're adopted into the family of Abraham as well. So in, in I fact, mean, so we are. It's also spiritually fulfilled. 
Yes, that's Romans chapter 11. It's awesome. Very good. Excellent. Well, we're, we've pontificated enough about that. Uh, we've got well, a question. Well, we do. But first, I'm going to throw it over to Corey as well, because we may have some new viewers that would like to know about the weekend edition. Sure. Okay. So there's two things that my husband and I do on the weekend. The first thing we do is Bible Discovery's weekend show. So what we do is we take a look at questions that pop up as we're reading through the scripture. Uh, and uh, we also answer viewer questions. So your questions, if you send them in uh, on the, the weekend show. So you can find that on my YouTube channel. Just my name, Corey Babechko on YouTube will, will find me. And then the other thing we do is a 10 minute recap, about 10 minutes. Sometimes they go a little over. I try my hardest to keep a recap uh, down to about 10 minutes of all of the reading that we were assigned to read that week. So the idea is if you fall behind, I get you caught back up. So those are the two things going on this and weekend on YouTube. Those are excellent. I've seen both of them and they're, we, we air them on Bible Discovery TV, Family and Friends are mm -hmm. excellent. Excellent. All right. Uh, Go ahead, Jen. All right. So for those of you that like questions, pop quizzes, here we go. All right. So anywhere from 1 Chronicles chapter 1 through 29. Boy, these are some heavy, heavy chapters with yeah. lots of information. Yeah. Lots of details. But I think you're going to be okay if you kind of replay some verses in your mind. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. We're going to try. You're going to try. Here it comes. The Philistines fought hard against Israel, and Saul and his sons fell slain. On what mount? On what mount? The Philistines fought hard against Israel, and Saul and his sons fell slain. On what mount? Was know? that Mount Gilboa? Was that Mount Sinai? Or was that Mount Gerizim? What do you think? I'm going to get ready to ask Corey and Ryan now what they think. I love this because you guys are put on the spot. That's awesome. <laughs> this one we know, so we, we love it We too. know it because we talk about it, Saul, all the time as a we family, do. you know, as you have all witnessed, I'm sure, over the years. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to go with Gilboa. Gilboa. Mount Gilboa. And is that, sure. is that what you would have answered had you been answered? And what about you at home? Did you give that right? Oh. I just gave it away. That's the right answer. <laughs> that is the right answer. It is Mount Gilboa. And you can check me on that and check everybody else on that. First Chronicles chapter 10, verses 1 and also verse 8. Here's one. Uh, now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And verse 8. So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. Let's pray today as we close the program. Lord, help me to be honest and truthful when I present your word to others. Your word speaks to me, but your word is about everything in this world and it tells the truth about all. So I pray today, Father, in Jesus' name that we would all absorb your word, hear it, understand it, and see it. In the name of Jesus Christ and all of us said together, what's that word? Amen. What does it mean? It means make it so.